Okay, now we're moving on to vision six in the book of Revelation, and I would encourage you to just read it, Revelation 17, 18, and 19. And the subject of this vision now is the, the world system and the necessity of the world system to be utterly destroyed, which is what is going to happen when Jesus comes back. He's the King of Kings, and he, all judgment has been handed to him, and he is going to judge the world system and bring it to destruction. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about the world system, and so I'm imagining that you have a little bit of trouble understanding what this would be. Let me say, first of all, that it isn't just this one vision, but it's all of the apostles understood that there is a world system, it must come under judgment, and it will come under judgment. So, for example, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So what, what Paul is saying here is, because of this, this destruction of a world system at the end of the age, we ought to be evaluating our lives as to how we spend our lives and what we are investing in in money, energy, and time, because a lot of what we Christians do is just going to be burned up. It's, it's like we're wasting our lives. And so it, it pays us to look at a vision like this, because it causes us, as we believe this vision, to reevaluate life and, and adjust our priorities accordingly. So now let's describe the world system as it appears at the end of the age. There are four elements, and the first element is a great prostitute that he calls Babylon the Great. Um, And the reason he calls it a prostitute is that it is a spiritual power that draws us away from God. God is the lover of our souls, but this is a false lover. This is a lover that appeals to us and becomes very attractive to people. And and so the people will put their confidence in this, but it it isn't a lasting or positive relationship that results. It doesn't go, it doesn't last for eternity. It's a quick thing and it pulls people to their destruction. Okay. So we can look at Germany now as as, as a last very um, a poignant example of what this kind of thing actually looks like in reality, where G- Germans were um, appealed to by the spirits that were controlling Adolf Hitler, and they actually were encouraged to believe 
in the doctrines that Hitler was espousing, which included a whole hope for Germany and the world that Germans were a master race and that they were going to lead the world into this thousand-year Reich and it was going to be great for everybody. And this was a prostitute. This was a spiritual power that was pulling the German people in with false promises, okay? And so it's, it's like a vortex. It's a vortex of power pulling people into their own destruction. And together with the vortex is a matrix of deception. So it's a vortex, vortex first and a matrix secondly, where Satan is able to weave a network, a whole network of beliefs and uh, hopes into a fabric of, of doctrines. And as more and more people are encouraged to believe in those things, they gain huge power over cities and nations and over the whole world. Okay, so it's a, it's a, a, a matrix because Satan cannot bind us unless he first blinds us. And so because we're blinded, we let him bind us up with all of these false ideas and, and come into a whole system that is going to actually be destructive and not the kind of hopeful thing that we thought at first. And then John is saying there is another element to this, uh, Babylon the Great, that it's a city. It's a, it's a vortex, it's a matrix, but it's also a city all at the same time. So Rome would be an example of this, and he hints at that when he talks about the seven hills. He's, t he's talking about Rome there. But Rome is only an example. Babylon is the Old Testament example of the same thing. It's an outbreak of spiritual power that takes over a city, and the city becomes the manifestation of that power, and it sucks people in to their own destruction. That was very much what was happening in Rome and in Babylon. And so we see examples of this in the past, but we shouldn't really spend too much time wondering, is this actually going to be Rome or what? And uh, because these are just outbreaks. And the, the fact is that it's going to be a worldwide city-like system covering many waters, which is um, waters are just a, 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 a way of expressing the peoples of the earth. So it's going to be covering the peoples of the earth. And we don't know where the center of this matrix and vortex is going to be, but it's, it's going to be worldwide. Okay, so that's the first element of the, the, the system. The second element is um, the red beast, the scarlet beast, which is an actual government. It's going to be a worldwide uh, empire, a secular government that the, that the harlot, the, the prostitute, is going to ride. So the, the, the real power is a spiritual power, but it's going to use the governmental power, the secular power of this government, and then the third element is four kings. The four kings become the horns of the scarlet beast. And, but they are four kings or four world leaders who are giving up their sovereign power in order to become a part of this larger 
worldwide empire. And then finally, there's a fourth element, and that is the, the religion. There's a religion that attaches itself to this whole system, and this is going to be a set of religious beliefs, probably made up from the religions of the world, uh, that people are going to say, well, they're, they're all pathways to the same God, and so on, and blah, blah, blah. And so you get this sense of political correctness, you get this this sense of a false prophet coming in and having worldwide appeal and being able to convince people through lying signs and wonders and, and credible things that he does. Uh, but there is a false prophet and a religion, and that's the fourth element, okay? And you see a hint that there's going to be trouble in this system at the end between the, uh, the religious, spiritual part of it and the secular and governmental part of it. And the, the, the ten kings are going to grow weary of the spiritual uh, falseness and the spiritual power of it, and they just are going to go after the secular thing, and they're going to make trouble for the, the religion part. Um, and uh, so there's this kind of tension between these two groups or these two um pieces of the puzzle of this world system. What, what do we need to learn about this that's so important? I believe the most important single verse in the entire book of Revelation is in this chapter, which says, come out from them, my people. Come out from this system, my people. That is God's warning. That is a very relevant warning to us today. Come out from this. Um, we need to recognize the deceptiveness. And if we try to be well adjusted into this system, we're going to find that we're, we're pulled. We're pulled by the vortex and we're convinced by the deceptions and we become more and more sympathetic with what is the, the enemy is really doing. And we, we get pulled into deceptive ideas so that um, even though we might call ourselves Christians on the surface, um, we're, we're brought under this destructive influence and we end up under judgment just along with the world. And so Jesus is, is really giving us a serious warning here. All right, and so now we have to look and see the power of deception, and um, deception is where this starts. Okay, we go back to the book of Genesis. We see that Satan coming and deceiving Adam was where this whole thing started to go wrong. And then we see at the end, Revelation 20, how uh, Jesus is coming and putting Satan away so that he will deceive the nations no more. And that's the end of the story. So what we see here is that the problem all along, from God's point of view, and he's trying to warn us about this, is deception. Deception is where we begin to go off track. So now, how do we recognize the deception that the enemy is using right now in America and in the world so that we, we will see it for what it is and step aside away from it? There are actually two movements that I believe are 
Well, they're the way the enemy softened up the German people and the Europeans to get them ready for Adolf Hitler. And the same two movements are in our world right now, and they're extremely popular. One is secularism, and the other is the New Age movement. And these two are very separate, uh, but they, they form a dance together in our culture right now. And both of them are extremely deceptive. And both of them seem good to most people in our country, but they are, they are destined to lead to some very evil times. And so now uh, what I want to do is just to take a quick historic look at where these two uh, movements came from to, to look at the roots of them. I think we need to see the roots of things. Okay, and the roots of both movements are in the same city, Vienna, and they are in two people who were in the same actual uh, school. And one is Sigmund Freud and the other is Carl Jung. Jung was Freud's protege. They were two of the most brilliant men in Europe at the turn of the century, a century ago. Jung, I, I'm, uh, Freud was absolutely convinced that science was going to replace God as the hope of the world. He believed that God was an illusion, which he wrote in his book, The Future of an Illusion. He wrote how science was going to replace uh, Christianity as the operating um, hope of the world. And so we're, we're not talking about science here. We're talking about godless science, science that is not guided by God, that questions God and abandons God as any kind of hope. The kingdom of God is not a part of Freud's uh, ideas. And so he, uh, he developed this, and this is what became secularism. This, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was referring to when he says, God is no longer a working hypothesis for most German people. And so the Germans were utterly convinced by Freud and by the others who were with Freud in developing this kind of secularism. And secularism grew and grew and has become a major, major factor that is now... Uh, kind of on the decline, actually. And so um, we, we see that the younger generation now, the millennial generation, uh, is no longer actually quite so fascinated with secularism as it used to be and is turning to the other of these two hopes. But let's just look a little bit more at secularism because it's still very much there. Um, you can see, maybe, if you look carefully, why people are growing a little bit uh, tired of this idea that science is going to be the, the answer to all of our problems. Um, look, for example, at cancer. The very time that the American Cancer Society has done all this decades of research, what has actually happened to cancer in America? It's become more and more and more of a problem so that we've become in America the number one cancer country in the world. Uh, this is not the outcome that people had expected. By now we should have 
gotten to the bottom of cancer and we should have figured out how to heal this and we haven't. It's gotten worse. And maybe because we've stopped looking to God and asking him that the, the problem with cancer is our lifestyle. And he would just tell us to correct our lifestyle. It's called repentance. But we don't want to hear about repentance anymore. We want science to solve our problems, you see. So instead of repenting from all the cancer-causing behaviors that we're involved in, we're wanting the American Cancer Society to solve cancer. Um, but that is a false hope. And, it, and it's proving to be false in reality. Or we look at um, the miracles of modern medicine, pharmaceuticals. Um, and when I was a kid, we just believed that it was a matter of time before we'd find a drug for everything. But today, drugs has become the number three cause of death right around number three or four in our country. And uh, this isn't what, what we expected. Um, not only is it causing uh, the untimely deaths of a lot of people, but it's creating uh, addictions, it's, it's crippling people, it's causing all kinds of unexpected consequences in our lives. And so people are, are growing a little bit skeptical of the whole pharmaceutical industry today. When I was a kid, uh, I took criminology courses. And the hope there was that through sociology and criminology, we'd studied human behaviors, we'd see the cause and effect uh, chain, we'd be able to identify what it is that causes recidivism. People going back into prison again and again, we'd, we'd be able to solve the problem of crime has that happened? Well, in the, in the 40, 50 years since I took that course and we had that hope, uh, America has actually become the number one country in the world for people being incarcerated. Not only have we not made a dent in this problem, it's gotten far worse since we've put our confidence in godless science. And by the way, George Otis has produced or is producing, I hope will soon produce, a video of a particular prison. There are two prisons in Texas right now that are in full-scale revival with the power of God coming into the prison and bringing absolute transformation of those prison environments. Just an example of what we could have had all along if we had kept our trust in God and the power of God instead of in godless science. But many people are not turning to the transformative power of God. They're turning to this other hope, which is the major hope of the millennial generation now, and that is New Age hope. New Age hope finds its roots in Carl Jung, who, as I said, was Sigmund Freud, Freud's protege. Um, you can get this material in Jung's autobiography, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. I don't really recommend the book, but if you're the kind of person like I am, you like to, to look into the roots of things, to see where the roots started and how this came to be in our culture. And if that's where you are, that's the book that will tell you about Freud and Jung and their hopes. 
Well, Jung was Freud's protege, and in the years of World War I, Jung began to encounter demons. He began to attract demons. He began to befriend demons. He began to talk and listen to demons, and he found them very intelligent. They had names. They, he, he, he looked to them as a new hope for the human race. And of course, Sigmund Freud was utterly bewildered at this whole uh, uh, trend in Jung's life. He couldn't figure out where Carl Jung was coming from, and of course, they parted ways because they represent opposite philosophies and opposite worldviews, two very separate and different hopes for the human race. And so Jung continued to move along that line of listening to demons. He actually had uh, demons haunting his house. His children had uh, night terrors. Uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But Carl Jung was absolutely committed to the conviction that nature harbors no intention to deceive. He just believed as a cardinal belief in his belief system that there is no such thing as deception. And so um, as, as, as Germany developed in, in the 1930s and the 1940s, um, Jung had absolutely no spiritual discernment any more than Sigmund Freud did and those who followed Freud. And so this is why there was no discernment in Germany. When, when, when demonic power introduced the vortex and the matrix and, and, and the city was developed and the, the, the network of evil, they, these guys had no clue about this. Reese Howells had a clue. We mentioned him. But how do you get protected? It's by connecting yourself with Jesus, the one from above, that we read about in John 3, 13, 31, that, that Jesus is the one outside the matrix. And so because the enemy had come and convinced people not to listen to Jesus and not to spend any time in the word, they were totally unequipped to evaluate what was going on in Germany. Let's not let that happen today. Let's learn from the mistakes that others have made. And let's cling to Jesus, the one from above, who is outside the matrix and can tell us what to do about it day by day. So I'm here to say to you that we can preserve ourselves in the day, in the evil day. We can. Jesus will provide the tools and the equipment. And uh, so let me finish this teaching with 1 John chapter 2 and starting at verse 26. And, and this is the hope of the apostles. This is what the apostolic teachers wanted every Christian to understand. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Well, we're going to be describing this a lot more in our teaching about prayer 
in the, the last series of, this te of these teachings, uh, how shall we then live? It's really important that we respond to the warning of God, come out from them. And, we, and the way we do that is to recognize that he gives the Holy Spirit to teach us, but we have to take time in the Word of God where the Holy Spirit uses the Word to sift our lives, our thoughts, and our, our goals, and our, our understanding of who we are as Christians, our understanding of what's worth going after, and we, we get rid of those things. We don't have to wait till the earthquake at the end shakes us up. We're already allowing ourselves to be shaken and sifted. And, and that is so important. I believe it's what Jesus meant when he said, learn to buy oil. The oil is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the teacher who will take what belongs to Jesus and give it to us day by day.